Today, we're going to have a conversation about conversation. And if you don't know what I mean, well, you're going to have to find out on this authentic avenue. Holler, a self-described next-gen tech company hoping to expand and revolutionize the way that we have conversations digitally. Sarah Aitken is their chief marketing officer, and though we have a conversation in words today, she'll let me in on why sometimes words just don't cut it anymore. We also talk about a number of other things, like how they rebranded following her suggesting a name change for the company within the first 10 minutes of meeting the founder, as well as how to stay authentic as a tech company when catering to the numerous disparate audiences which interact with it. And finally, as one of the few tech companies out there with a black founder and CEO, we also explore what it's like for a company based in revolutionizing a conversation when the conversation comes to them. I thought this was interesting because it's true. The way we've digitally communicated has evolved a lot this year, not just in the type of medium, the word versus the picture versus the GIF, but in the way we behave. Hopefully you feel the same way and learn a little bit from this chat. So sit back, relax, and let us do the talking for you as I get real with Holler and Sarah Aitken. You know, I bet there's plenty of words that people can use to describe uh, this year, but sometimes there's just no words for it. You need something else. You need a moving picture, an image, a, a, an emoji, something. I got somebody on today who can tell me a little bit more about that in a much broader sense than the one I just gave. It's Sarah Aitken from Holler. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me. How are you? Great. Thank you, Adam, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Do you have a favorite emoji slash sticker slash one of these things? I mean, has there been one that you've just gone to more recently? Well, I have, I have got, I have got a bunch of favorites and definitely ones I use a lot. Um, my personal favorite that I go to often is one of our characters called Simone, who, uh, does the splits in a kind of sleigh moment, which is completely, you know, I'm, I'm a Brit. <laughs> uh, she, she's definitely someone who is, uh, is, you know, hails from Brooklyn, but she's, she's definitely my go-to girl, I think for the most part. A spirit animal, so to speak. Yeah, exactly, exactly. She's my spirit animal. So I, I, I love the, I love her attitude. I think she's hilarious. So uh, she's, she's usually how I manage to express myself. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> well, maybe we'll learn a little bit more about Simone today. But first thing I want to do is learn more about you, because uh, you, you've got uh, quite the, the, the background, the journey to this point. Obviously, from what you said, and as we can hear, you're a Brit now in Brooklyn. You've done plenty of things before coming to Holler, including working with Holler a little bit. Why don't you just tell me about your story of joining here? I know there's a couple of facets to it, and I might stop you along the way, but enlighten us. Sure. So, um, yeah, I mean, so I spent uh, most of my career in the creative agency world, um, working with massive brands um, all the way down to tiny startups. Um, usually around like how to how to connect brands with people in creative and interesting ways, and I did that for for the bulk of my career. I began uh, working uh, over in London for an agency called Iris. Um, I moved with them to New York, which was our first international office. Um, so going from kind of a company which was sort of eighty people in one room in London to you know fast forward to today, the agency's been very successful, thousand people worldwide. 14 different offices and and it was a you know brilliant to be part of that that journey um fast forward kind of 14 years with uh, with iris and it um i uh decided i wanted to go and investigate what it would feel like to build a brand from from the inside and so um i i left that business and began consulting with young companies it was something i had been doing 
um, alongside my agency career um, for sort of four or five years and was just an area that I found really fascinating, kind of how these new businesses were kind of finding themselves, finding their voice, finding uh, really discovering who they were and how they were going to interact with the world and, and where their where their place was. And it was on that uh, during that period of time that I met Travis Montague, uh, who was the founder and CEO of, of Holla. And he invited me in to kind of have a chat and said, look, we're looking for someone a little bit like you. We we need some help with marketing. We don't uh, we don't really know how to think about the next phase of our business. And so I came in and met with uh, with Travis and and uh, and Stephen Zangri, who was the COO at the time, uh, who sort of sat me down and talked to me about this business. And uh, at the time, the business was called Emoji um, with a with a G, and its its brand was very, uh, you know, as you would imagine, it's a sticker company. You know, it was very animated, lots of graphics. And they sat me down and talked to me about this business and talked about the technology that they were building. And it was so clear to me that there was this enormous vision and this enormous possibility for this company, but it was packaged up in this brand that just didn't reflect any of that. Um, and so it was in that sort of 20 minutes into this meeting and I sort of turned around to the guys and said, hey, have you ever thought about changing the name? So this was 20 minutes into the, the first meeting with the CEO? Yeah, about about that. And, and 20 minutes into a, the, a meeting with the CEO and founder. And it was kind of one of those moments where, you know, they kind of looked at each other funny. And I was sort of had that sort of out of body moment where I was like, oops, <laughs> what have oh, I Oh, I just said? screwed the pooch on this one. I yeah. just, yeah, I've just insulted their baby. But actually, it, it, you know, when you're in a consult, when you're a consultant and, you know, your role is to really challenge people and to help them think in different ways. And so, um to me, it was more a case of, okay, well, well, now's the time to double down and explain why I said that and, and help them to see the potential. And so... Can you tell me a little bit more about the first 10 minutes? You went on to explain this. They have that look. You think maybe, uh-oh, I said the wrong thing. But, I mean, surely you didn't in the same breath know to call it holler. I mean, how do you weave your way through that to, to get out of that, to like wiggle out of that what might have been otherwise an uncomfortable moment? I think that's really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting because rebranding and uh, is a process and there's a science to it, actually. Fortunately, one of the, the companies that I um, knew very well was a young branding agency called Dear Future. I had been doing some work with them in, in the um, in, in the year that I'd been consulting. So that was there were people that I knew very, very well and they were incredibly talented. And so very quickly, I brought them on board, introduced them to the leadership team. Um, and we went through a very rapid uh, rebranding process. Now, um, incidentally, I was actually six months pregnant with my second child when uh, when I met Travis, and so um, it was sort of a forced deadline to have this rebrand done before before my before my baby was going to arrive. And so um, we were on this kind of three month timeline, and and we were very fortunate in the partners that we had with the future who were able to really spend a lot of time uh, brainstorming, um, just going through discovery with the, with the leadership team, talking to the technologists and the research scientists and all of the parts of the business that make Holla so special. We had about, I think we ended up with a short list of seven or eight, um, seven or eight names that had all been legally vetted before we showed them to anyone. And it was actually very, it was pretty instant. As soon as we shared the, the list of names, um, you know, Travis immediately gravitated towards towards Holler and it, it makes so much sense for the brand it, it allows us to still be fun and irreverent and and uh, and attach the content that is ultimately the foundation but 
it enables us to be the technology company that that, that we're ultimately building. And equally, you know, it has that it, it has a conversational component to it. Right. So, uh, you know, when something's missing, you holler. Exactly. I'm glad that you elaborated on that because I've talked to a bunch of folks about rebrand, rebrand, rebrand. What does that mean? How do you stay authentic through it? But I haven't ever asked like, okay, how do you go about suggesting that? I just love that description of shifting gears, essentially getting out of the current gear and people are like, oh, what's going on? I'm not, I'm not comfortable with this. I'm not ready for this. And then finally, given a bunch of options, when Hollow just sort of sits into that next gear and everything starts to turn a moment where they probably looked at themselves again and said, okay, phew, exhale moment. Now, of course, that rebrand's happened for a while. What excites you most about being there today, like right now? What's going on? It's actually quite good timing, Adam, because we've literally just launched a new product um, on Tuesday this week, um, uh, Holokit 5, which is actually kind of a really... Um, one of the main reasons I think that I've been excited about Holler as a business and why, you know, after that period of consulting, it was it was such a sort of simple fit for me to me to join more permanently. What it's what it's ultimately doing is is reinventing what messaging experiences mean to people through both technology in the sense of understanding how to build an AI technology that understands what you're typing and contextually can recommend and suggest content that can help you communicate in that moment. The creativity with the studio and the types of content that they're creating and making has been amazing. But with Kit 5, what, so what, the, what the sort of big step change has been is this shift from being a maker of stickers and content and, and, and GIFs and, and whatnot to help people communicate to being the ultimate content engine for conversations. And it's interesting, right, because messaging is actually the thing that we all do more often than we do anything else on the planet is talk to people digitally and especially this year actually you know we saw huge spikes in in message volume and um, and content shares for me what was what's been so fascinating about it is that there's this massive white space around this messaging space that people just haven't been able to enrich in a really meaningful way because it is so private and one of the special things about holler is that we've really the team has been incredibly focused on building the technology in a way that in that is super valuable to users. It's personal. It's uh, it's contextually relevant. It gives you all the value that you need, but does it in a way that is incredibly private. Um, there is no we we know we do not take any information on you. We don't under we don't store your messages. We don't we can do all of that. Te- all of that technology is able to have to um, to be deployed on your device. So nothing needs to leave your leave your mobile phone. So I've seen myself using slightly richer media this year it really started with like trying to find the right gif and i had to like go to google and paste it in it was kind of annoying so this is good where can i see some hollow like in the wild so it's a great question and so kit 5 has just been launched and is now available to apps and platforms to install so it's going to be a little while until you don't have to search for those gifts anymore and it's beautifully served up inside your messaging experience. However, right now, if you want to go and uh, access some Holo content, if you're a Venmo user and you're making payment notes, uh, you can type in uh, your payment note and have stickers recommended there. We're also installed into most of the top five keyboards with um, with Android. So uh, Android users can, can use this across the board as well. So I am interested in learning about the different types of audiences that would use this. Obviously, if I'm going to you know, pay my buddy for beers from last weekend, great, I'll be able to use this. If I have an Android keyboard, great. But it's not just me as a consumer. I mean, there are a wide array of audiences that, uh, that Holler touches. I know you perceive four distinct communities. 
Could you elaborate on how you manage those disparate streams? Absolutely. Um, when we think about the four users uh, or audiences that we deal with, we have our users, right? So like you and me who are sending each other beer stickers, you know, paying each other back for, for drinks, which, you know, maybe one day, Adam, we'll be able to do in real in real life. Yep, I'm booking um, it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we have platforms and apps. So the people that install our technology, um, so we need to think about how we speak to them and how we help them understand the potential for the technology to increase engagement with their users. Um, brands and advertisers. So the people that want to connect with uh, with with users in real time in their conversations. Um, we work with brands like Starbucks, like uh, Chipotle, like uh, Molson Coors uh, across a bunch of their different brands recently. So all of these types of people um, that, that need to interact with our product um, need to understand it from very different angles. Um, and obviously, we're, we're still a young startup, you know, we're still growing. And so um, our investor community is also another important audience that we need to consider um, to make sure that they understand where we're going and how we're getting there and that we're meeting various milestones along the way. Through it all, no matter what community you're talking to, you're always developing new things, new things are always coming to market. And uh, you, you told me something in a, in a pre-interview, which I, I had to ask about here. You mentioned that Holler is a next-gen tech company. Isn't every tech company like next gen, like always doing the next thing? What what, what is that, and what does that mean particularly in this context? Yeah, it's a it's a really good question. It's something that we're really really passionate about, right? And when you think about generations of tech companies that have kind of gone through in the past, right? If you think about the first generation tech companies, you know the Microsofts, the HPs, the IBMs, you know these companies they they made machines that enhanced individual capability right like they were helping us be better humans they were helping us be faster smarter all of that then you look at the next generation of tech companies that were sort of born of the networked world you know the facebook's the twitter's the um you know instagram's the stuff that helped people connect with each other in completely new ways um and that gave those companies this completely new ability to know so much about individuals and their connections and then the, sort of there was another generation of tech that was sort of born out of that again where you know you had the gig economy so you know this pace and the speed of innovation has been so quick that regulation and uh, and and the 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 fact that you can do stuff has sort of moved so quickly that that we've forgotten about the people that are kind of in the middle of all of this you know the 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 users and the and the um, and the consumers and, you know, just regular people like you and I who are going about our business. And now we're at a point where uh, with things like GDPR that have come in, you know, CCPA, um, privacy regulations, there's obviously, you know, there's now there's been a lot of questions about data, a lot of a lot of publicity actually around, you know, misuse of some of these tools and, and systems that have become so intelligent. And we've got this fund firm belief that right now, we are moving towards an environment where we are stepping into what we'd call the trust economy. So a place where users and consumers like you and I will make choices about the technology we use based on how it treats our data. And there's a huge amount of data and and understanding about people that goes on that most of us aren't aware of. We just don't know that it's happening. Um, We've ticked boxes, we've pressed agree, we've never read the 25 page document that we've agreed to you know there are there's an incredible amount of that kind of activity going on and and regulation is starting to move to a place where 
uh, it's making companies much more accountable for how they're handling that data. For our business to be successful, uh, trust is a fundamental pillar of our brand, right? We have to be trusted. We are in people's private, private messages. We are uh, in the conversation that you might be having with your mom or with a sibling or with a son or daughter, people who are incredibly important to you, uh, where you do not want that trust to be violated. And so, um, and so we believe that there's a massive responsibility and opportunity actually for young tech companies, the stuff, the companies that are forming themselves right now to just build technology in a very different way and do it ahead of the regulation. You know, the puck is going this way anyway. So for us, it's a time where we can, we can have, we have the privilege of being small enough and nimble enough to be able to build our technology in a way that sets the new stage for how things can operate. If you think also, I mean, even from, um, I think one of the big challenges that we have by being this way has actually been with our brands and advertisers. If you think about the way that, um, the way that advertisers and brands have been buying media, um, it has been incredibly identity based. You know, they want to know, I want to target these types of people in these types of places who do these types of things, who like these types of products. Um, and, you know, we, we've all had that weird experience, right, where, you know, you've been talking about something on the phone or, you know, you've mentioned something to to, to somebody in passing or in the, in, in the pub and, and all of a sudden you're seeing an Instagram ad for it. And, and everybody has that kind of like, oh, wait, did I type that anywhere or did I just say that out loud? And everyone's starting to get this this like the world has become a little bit creepy because this technology now is so, so good that, that we're able to target people in these in these in these ways. And so we've been very uh, one of the challenges that we've we've had is that the ad infrastructure and the media infrastructure is so built around this data being available that when we take it away and the way that that identity data works and we focus on purely on context in terms of being enabling advertisers and brands to be in conversations that are relevant to your business, regardless of who is having them. Um, the, the the infrastructure to to measure that to track it to uh, to to sell it is is actually not quite there yet. You can almost liken it a little bit to um, electric cars, right? So, um, you know, electric cars are great, but until you actually have the infrastructure to um, to, to charge them often enough, uh, can they go mass? And so, you know, we're at the, in the process of you know building that infrastructure um, as, at the same time as building the technology. And you know, we're very fortunate that you know some fantastic, super innovative brands have been working with us um, in the past in the past year. You know, everyone from uh, you know Starbucks, Subway, IKEA. You know, these fantastic brands that recognise that there's a big opportunity in messaging and an under, a, a way to connect with people in these ways in these spaces that you haven't really been able to before, um, purely by targeting context in a in an incredibly private way. Yeah, that's something which I've noticed. Did I type that or did I say it? Who is listening to me? And all of a sudden I like get super defensive. I don't even know against who. Right. Right. Exactly. And so we've set out some very clear principles, um, you know, publicly on our website. You know, the conversation is yours, not ours. We're simply here to make it better. You know, and that is a very clear sense of ownership. And, you know, we do not want your conversation. We have no interest in taking it. We have no interest in selling it um, to anyone. You should never say anything in a private message that you, that then gets, you know, you get retargeted somewhere else. Um, we think that there's a, there's just a really hard line there for us. And, you know, we, we technically, you know, that, that is, that is probably feasible in today's, today's environment, but we, but we believe that we're better off setting ourselves up for a, 
the future state. You are not seeking out these conversations, obviously, as you've noted. Sometimes a conversation will come to you, and I don't mean in the way of text, somebody submits something to you. I mean conversation of the times. I want to switch gears just a second because one of the other ways in which a lot of brands this year have shown their authenticity or whatever that means is through joining the conversation. And in this case, a cultural conversation. And it's a shame, but Holler is privileged to be one of the few tech companies out there. And I say few, few is the shame part of the sentence with a black founder and CEO. That conversation had to have happened internally. What happened and how did Holler react and talk and have its own conversations? I mean, you guys are known for having creating the next generation of conversations, but what happens when the conversation comes to you in this way? Yeah, it was interesting because when the uh, after um, the death of George Floyd and and, and the the sort of um, activities that followed that, Travis, of course, um, was particularly moved. Um, and it was interesting because we were having this conversation about responsibility as a black tech founder. Uh, as you've rightly mentioned, it, one of very, very few, the responsibility on us as a company and on him as an individual, actually, to be in that moment and to enable people to understand and see that there can be success and um, and that that, that role modelling um, that he could do would be very important. And it was interesting because I think for Travis, um, understandably so, and I have this, I could re- reflect on this, you know, in the same way as, you know, a female leader, I never want to be known as, um, you know, a, a good female leader. I want to be known as a great leader who happens to be female. And he, he quite uh, understandably had the same perspective. And so we wanted to just think about the way that we needed, we wanted to go about it so that he could be that role model, but he could do it in his own authentic way. Um, and so he had had, you know, very personal experiences um, in his own career in raising money, in, you know, figuring out how to navigate um, investor scenarios and, uh, and, and get connected with people in worlds where he wasn't naturally connected. Um, and, you know, those stories were incredibly valuable and incredibly important for people like him to hear um, so that so that others could feel enabled to, to go and, and, and forge a path like like he has done. And so we spent some time and we, we put together some perspectives and um, they got picked up very quickly um, by various different outlets. And um, his LinkedIn following actually just leapt um from you know seven or eight thousand i think it's up to like eighty thousand now is you know people who are looking for voices to follow and and for people to hear from um and we kind of had this sort of moment of like okay well you know we're we're a young company and you know it hadn't been the top of our agenda ironically even with a with a an african-american uh ceo um and so we changed that really quickly we actually now still have a standing meeting once a week to talk about um, diversity, inclusion, and belonging, and how are we handling it, and what are we doing, and how are things progressing, and what we're we learning from the initiatives we've started. Um, and one of the big things that we did recently, we launched uh, a website called the the Dib Source, the Diversity, Inclusion, and Belonging Source. Because one of the things we realised was there was no resources out there really for young companies like ours to share ideas. And actually, everyone was going about. Everyone at the time was sort of 
running around figuring out like what initiatives do we need to start? What, you know, do we need ERG groups? Do we need um, to start education uh, sessions? Do we need training? Do we need this? And there was nothing really out there that where people were actually exposing what they were doing and what they were learning, more importantly. One of the people that we had actually invited to talk to the company was Opal Tometi, who was one of the founders of the Black Lives Matter movement. And she said something that really resonated with, with me and with the rest of the leadership team, which was, um, which was, it's about progress, not perfection. And I think that was so key because uh, it just meant that, okay, everyone just needs to get on with stuff and start making changes and start thinking about things differently and not worry about getting it 100% right, but just start moving in the right direction, start learning. And so in that spirit, we launched this uh, this site called the Dib Source because we were like, well, we're doing all this stuff now and we're not telling anyone about it. So it became a space where we could blog about the different initiatives that we've started, the learnings that we've had, the feedback that we've had from uh, our employees internally um, against different initiatives, and then invite other companies to do the same. So, you know, fill out a form, share your ideas, share your initiatives. Um, We've been very fortunate to have um, some great partners come on board to help us um, with content and ideas for people. So uh, Built In um, and Chief and uh, Gather, uh, Black product managers are, are four of our initial our launch partners um, with for the Dib Source. So we're um, we're excited to see where it goes and and committed to continuing to um, continuing to populate that resource for for young companies to just continue to share ideas and make progress. I'm glad to hear you say that because I was well, I was curious. Obviously, being known for conversations, I would assume you'd, you'd have to just dive in there with all of your being and the fact that you have now probably and we'll, we'll see how it continues to develop but probably created a hub for this type of thing and the fact that you uh, not own it but the fact that you put your stake in the ground is that we we are going to be a leader on this is really strong and I and I and I appreciate it um, even if the issues don't touch me directly you know what I mean like I, I'm a straight white male you know what I mean it's a lot of the stuff I, I see and I and I ask about and I um, appreciate when brands do it because I know that there are people who just don't have the privileges that I do. It's got to start somewhere. So it's got to start talking and I'm glad that you are. Yeah, absolutely. I need to I need to then, well, this actually tells really well because I always ask leaders and founders and folks that I talk about on this show or talk to on this show about ways to carve one's own authentic avenues, to use the name of the show. and. People out there always wonder, like, how, how do I show up authentically? How do I even, like, define myself or what my brand is? You came in to holler, and the first thing you said was, let's redo it. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's change how, what it's called, possibly how it looks, based on what your mission is. And through the disparate communities which you serve, through the stances which you've taken socially, and uh, through all these things, you have managed to do it. So I'm curious from you, Based on what you've learned, what you've done, what advice can you give to our listeners on how to find their brand's personal truth and their own avenues to authenticity? Yeah, I mean, to me, it's really it's really simple. And I think this year has shone a light on marketers that are able to do it really well. And the key is in empathy. And brands that have been able to truly empathize with people this year are the ones that have actually come through and I think shone in ways that we perhaps wouldn't have expected. Um, 
I think historically, you know, marketers often will lean on a playbook of some sort, you know, a way to think about how to achieve a specific KPI or move the needle in, for the business in some way. And I think what this year has done fundamentally is just enabled marketers to literally throw the playbook out the window. Um, there was no um, there was no real way to kind of navigate the scenarios this year in a way that was you know guaranteed to succeed. And so I think for me anyway, um, you know that concept of really thinking about people and what they need in those moments has uh, pushed marketers to go back to their, their their kind of gut instincts actually and to think about things in um, in in that way. Um, if, if I think about our own example, you know, um, I remember us when we were still back in the office in uh, in February and starting to see some of these things uh, starting to see the pandemic start to make it make an impact. And we sat there and said, right, that's it. Quick. To, we need to spin content around. How many times have you said stay safe to somebody today? Seriously. Yeah. The whole leadership team was like, oh, well, at least six times, you know, and this was 11 o'clock in the morning. And so, you know, of course, you know, we we spun the studio very quickly and turned around a, a heap of content that was just designed to help people talk about what they needed to talk about in those moments. Um, you know, stay safe, thinking of you. Some of these had share rates of uh, over 25%, which is insane. And so, you know, we um, we we knew we had to kind of adapt our product very quickly to meet the market for what it needed to do in that moment. We needed to, we saw the ways that people changed how they were paying people on Venmo. People were suddenly buying their healthcare worker a coffee. And so, you know, we created content to support that type of activity. Um, and so, you know, I think marketers that are able to kind of retool, rethink and do that quickly um, have been the ones that have made a made a real impact. And and I think if you are able to take an empathetic position um, and connect with people in a way that is true to your brand and what you believe in as a as a business and as a group of people, um, you know, magical things can happen. So empathy being the word of the day and from a company that works in uh, that next gen of conversation, the, the animated, richer media, it's still good to have a word every now and again. And so for the many words that you have shared with me today here, Sarah, the holler story and everything about it, thanks so much for joining and I appreciate the time. Thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. This interview got me thinking, I wonder how long you can communicate using just pictures or emojis or GIFs. I'd wager you go a lot longer than you think. Thanks, Sarah. And thanks to you, the listener, for tuning in to today's show. If you liked what you heard, number of things you can do. Now we're in the midst of the holiday season. A gift you can give me is a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I'd really appreciate that. It helps others who haven't heard this show know what a pleasure it is to listen. And you can also find me on social elsewhere, LinkedIn, Adam Connor, Authentic Avenue. I'm doing a little bit on TikTok at Authentic Adam. Still trying to figure out where to go there. And of course, via email as well, adam at authenticavenuemedia.com. Say hi, give a suggestion for the show, or hey, if you're looking to build your own podcast, I know a heck of a lot about that and can share more with you. This has been your host, Adam Connor, saying until I get real again with you, thanks for taking a walk with me down Authentic Avenue.